Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from a rather remote location, the nine westernmost islands in Europe, a volcanic archipelago in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. We're coming to you from Tercera in the Azores, about a 90-minute flight from Portugal. In fact, part of Portugal, as a matter of fact. I first came to the Azores in 1973 by accident. My plane ran out of fuel, and we had to land at the Air Force Base right here on Tercera. And while we were on the ground for about two hours, I got a chance to look around just a little bit and went, this is cool. I loved it. And I've been coming back ever since. My next guest, he's a British writer and, and photographer who's actually based now in Lisbon, but he's also the uh, the author and co-photographer of the Eyewitness Travel Guidebook, Top 10 Azers, a book that I have with me, as a matter of fact. Let's please welcome Paul Bernhardt. How are you, Paul? I'm very well, thank you, Peter. Good to speak of, with you. And of course, you were one of the smart guys who moved to Lisbon before it became fashionable. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, a good few years ago, um, I, I had to say the, the evolution of the city itself has, has been, um, on the whole, positive. Um, it needed um, a bit of a, a, a regeneration, especially after the, um, the austerity that swept across Europe sort of in the early 2020s, uh, 2000s. But um, uh, I, I feel now that it's, it's kind of leveling out a bit, so let's hope it, uh, it keeps itself in check. It's a fabulous place to live. Um, and the locals, well, I mean, they're just extraordinarily uh, hospitable. So uh, a wonderful um, uh, place to be. And... Now we get to segue right to my favorite topic, and I'm sure it's yours too, the Azores. Most of my, of my audience, I have to say, doesn't know where it is. Uh, they don't know the history. They don't know that the Azores are the, you know, the nine westernmost islands in, in Europe and the North Atlantic, only about an hour and a half off the coast of Portugal by jet. Um, in the old days, as you know in your research, uh, forgetting my experience in 1973, the planes didn't have the range to make Europe. And so the Azores was a was a standard refueling stop for TWA and TAP and and KLM and Air France. All of them stopped there. But the beautiful thing for me, at least, and that's one of the reasons why I'm sure you wrote the book, is that it remains a hidden gem. Absolutely. I mean, um, one of the. Uh... One of the things I always say that anybody contemplating uh, a visit to the Azores is, is I feel, seeking uh, a communion with nature. Uh, it's one of the great uh, outdoors and adventure tourism hotspots, crammed full of natural wonders. It really is uh, quite extraordinary, uh, but still refreshingly bereft of, of the trappings of, of mass tourism. I guess that relative remoteness of the, the archipelago uh, stuck out there, uh, in the middle of the Atlantic, is, is one of its saving graces. And, uh, but, but as you said, um, very accessible now um, by plane, from, from, uh, certainly from Portugal, of course, but uh, across Europe and beyond. Right. We came in on, 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 the, on, the, on the, one of the new Delta nonstops from JFK, only four and a half hours. And when you think about it, the flight from um, JFK to San Miguel um, is less in terms of time than JFK to LAX. And, Isn't it just yeah, yeah, and yet you're flying over water for for the whole whole uh, the whole trip. So a quite extraordinary uh, experience in itself, in fact. It is, and 
What I really find attractive about the Azores, and, and I should say in the interest of full disclosure, I've been to only two of the, of the nine islands. I've been to Tercera and, of course, uh, San Miguel. Uh, there mm-hmm. are seven other islands that are just as remarkable for different reasons. But just in the two islands that I've been to, what I find remarkable is two things. One, time has so- somewhat stopped, but mm-hmm. history hasn't, meaning mm-hmm. history hasn't forgotten. Whatever time forgot, history hasn't. And No, quite. And... The pace is the way it used to be. Nobody's rushing. You're not going to find rush hour. You're not going to find traffic. I mean, there's obviously more traffic today than there was when I went there in 1973. But relatively speaking, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. Um, sure. And, and the food is great. It's plentiful. Um, it's easily sourced, especially if you're a pescatarian like I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you've, you've just hit the jackpot. Uh, absolutely. No, one of the great uh, uh, aspects of, of the islands, besides its, its, its powerful um, uh, and natural resources, uh, is, is the culture, time-honored um, culture and, and, and tradition, which, which stretches back centuries. Um, I mean, most times of the years of the year, you have you have a festival going on somewhere, and it's it's not a closed shop. If you're happening to um, wander by, you're, you're welcome in to a house, for example. I remember a few years ago on Pico, they had... Uh, and, that's one of the, and that's one of the smallest islands. Uh, Pico is... It is actually in, 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 in fairly relative um, sort of coastal area, but uh, it goes up. Uh, Pico is the location of the, uh, the huge mountain. Um, the the uh, dormant volcano, by the way, uh, that stretches up, oh heavens, um, two thousand odd odd meters uh, up into the air. That's um, what is that? That's about seven thousand seven hundred yeah. feet. Uh, but I, I was on um, uh, Pico, and uh, I got invited to uh, take part in um, a festival, uh, whereby uh, I, as as a, as a tourist, I was um, made to feel like a local um, and was given wine and bread to eat and made to feel thoroughly welcome. And that's one of the great aspects uh, of, of traveling through the islands. Uh, you meet the locals on, on, on their level um, and it's, it just enriches the, the uh, overall Azores experience. And you, know, you mentioned the festivals. I want to put everybody into a, a very good mood knowing one thing. You're not going to find out about it by racks of brochures and hotel lobbies. You find out about festivals in the Azores because you just ask everybody what's happening today. I mean, it's yeah, all right, very local, yeah. right? I mean, it's just people just tell you, and then and then you show up. Sure. I mean, um, each, each island is is unique, of course. Um, each has its own uh, personality and uh, its own special um, festivals. I mean, the, the, you have the, um, the Festival de Espiritu Santa, they call it, the, the um, Holy Spirit Festivals, which are island-wide, but um, each island um, celebrates the, the, um, the festival in its own unique way, which is, which is very special. Um, and then you can nip over to, uh, across to Flourish, for example, or Corvo even, right out there on the very western edge of Europe, and again, you're, you're in um, a situation where you, you thought you knew what you're going to expect, but quite <laughs> frankly, it comes straight out of left field, and you're, again, you're, 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 uh, you come away with a totally unique experience. It's, it's a wonderful feeling. You feel you really are getting um, uh, the heart and soul of the, the, the destination and its people. 
And you mentioned Corvo. That is the tiniest island, but they're really known for their birds. Oh, wow. If, if you're a birder uh, uh, into ornithology, then uh, you need to go there in um, October, autumn time, Peter, and you'll end up um, spotting some incredible um, birds. I remember going over there uh, just before autumn, in fact, so I wasn't quite there on the, on the spot. But um, people were um, lined up with binoculars, with, with uh, telescopes, long-lens cameras, and I was trying to find out what the big deal was. And uh, they'd spotted, um, get this, a yellow-billed cuckoo, actually in the little village, Villa de Corvo, the, the capital, in, in, in inverted commas, of the, uh, of the island. Uh, and it was an extraordinary rush. Um, they'd never seen anything like it. And uh, it is a great staging post for the autumn migration. So if you're into birds, and again, if you're into nature per se, then make the effort to get to Corvo. It can be uh, an effort, uh, but it's certainly worth it. And uh, you'll be ticking off some, some, uh, some amazing uh, birds uh, along the way. We're talking with Paul Bernhardt, the author and the head photographer, or the co-photographer, I should say, of the DK Eyewitness Travel Guide Top 10 Azores. What a perfect person to talk to since we're right here. When we last left off, I, I, I promised you a little update on one of the world's great whale-watching spots. Paul, you'd agree? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I, this, this is one of the great um, uh, surprises, uh, a very humbling experience um, to see these uh, these more gentle giants just relaxing and playing in in, in the uh, in the waters off, particularly Pico. Uh, Pico is the uh, regarded as the hot spot, um, but m- on most of the islands, uh, off the coast of most of the islands, you can you can spot whales and, and dolphins, of course, the the playful pilots. Um, but yes, without a doubt, they're, they're, I mean some. 28 species of these these um, the of whales have been spotted off the coasts of Pico and Fayal, in fact. Uh, and that's extraordinary when you consider there's, there's about 80-odd species in the world collectively together. So, you know, you, you're getting into um, almost a quarter, uh, over a quarter of the world species just off those two islands, depending uh, on the time of year, of course. But, yes, one of the great must-dos um, for anyone visiting the islands, is to get out in, in a boat on one of those uh, sightsee- sightseeing excursions and, and just, just marvel at these, uh, these lovely, gentle creatures, noble creatures. They're, they're beautiful. The other thing I was able to do, um, I actually went up and, and did some beekeeping, um, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, just an interesting experience way up in the hills. I also went fishing with a fisherman who then went back and took me back to his house with his wife and kid, and we had a great dinner together. This is not in the brochure or the guidebook, I can tell you. No, well, again, that, that brings it back to what I was saying earlier. You, you turn a corner, you, you have your itinerary all planned, and, and you, you meet somebody, and, uh, well, you tear it up. Um, and uh, or, or, you, or you do what I do, or you do it, tear it up before. Oh, well, that's even better, yeah. I mean, why not? Uh, it's already well planning ahead, but sometimes uh, it's best not to plan at all. Uh, I'm a great believer in uh, improvisation, uh, especially as a, as a writer. You know, you don't go there with any preconceived ideas. Uh, you, you, you follow certain um, uh, strands, of course, but uh, one of the great um, 
uh, you know, one of the great um, aspects of, of any any guidebook writing, I suppose, is is exploring the unknown. Is is to uh, come across something that you weren't expecting. Exactly. Uh, that 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 for me is is real travel. That's getting down to the the nitty gritty, if you like. And if I can give you a compliment, one of the, the things I like about your book is it's essentially just giving me options and not telling me what to do. Yes, well, that, that's the format through and through. Um, you know, there are other guidebooks that go into far more detail, quite text-heavy, some of them. Uh, but the idea here is to point you in the right direction, and then, then really it's up to you, uh, Pete. You know, you, you decide whether, you know, we've hit the spot. Uh, if if we haven't, then you go ahead and try and hit it yourself. But otherwise, <laughs> exactly. you, you, you turn a different corner. Well, speaking of turning a different corner, I was asking around, just like I told you, hey, what's going on today? When, you know, right here on the island, they said, hey, you got to go about five miles away to the small little village and don't get there any later than 5.30 because they closed the road for the bullfight. I said, <laughs> bullfight? You mean in the bullring? And they said, no, we have fights in the bullring too. The beautiful thing about Portugal, as you well know, Paul, is they don't kill the bull, which is like True. the best. But this is not a bullring fight. This was playing with a bull on the streets. It's, 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 it's crazy. And so... Yeah. I went there, and everybody was welcoming, although they encouraged me to stand behind the barricades. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> and probably then, a wise idea. Very wise idea. And uh, my camera crew was there to record this. We got unbelievable footage of truly interested and angry bulls having fun with truly stupid and uh, <laughs> n- not smart people um, who were out there literally uh, playing with the bulls. And this has been a tradition that's going back a few hundred years. Yeah, it's it's the rope bullfights. They they they're tethered um, yes. by by groups of um, uh, well up to two four strong muscled locals, I guess. Yep. Although that rope um, has a tendency to slip out of their hands at the uh, the wrong moment. Yes. Uh, but yes, that that's uh, a tradition that goes back centuries, in fact. And and you're right. It's it, uh, initially when you look at it, you think, well, okay, they, they're goading the bull, perhaps. But um, I've noticed that, frankly, the the um, the animal is allowed to run riot, and it's uh, your hard luck if if you get in the way of it. Um, but yes, again, there, there's there's uh, some contention around bullfighting, even of course, in this country, of course. Uh, when when the the animal isn't uh, isn't killed in in the arena at least. Um, but whether or not it, it's a cruel sport, but the, the, the fact is, you, this is part of someone's culture, a country's tradition. It's very difficult to ignore that. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Americans have never been there, uh, and yet, as Portugal itself starts exploding on the tourism radar, more and more Americans are discovering the Azores as they should, since there's now nonstop service from Boston uh, and also JFK on Delta. And as I like to remind my friends, the actual nonstop flight from JFK to San Miguel is shorter in length than JFK to Los Angeles, so it's totally doable, and you're entering a different world. Talk about the cutting edge of history. When you drive around the island, uh, you're not going to find rush hour. You're not going to find traffic jams. 
you're going to find a very small population where everybody just knows everybody else. But most importantly, you're going to find tranquility. You're going to find mountains. You're going to find lakes. You're going to find vegetation that has been here since before Christopher Columbus and the rest of the Vasco da Gama crowd and virtually untouched. And one of the people joining me on the show right now knows a lot about about that because he is an Azorian, born and raised here, and has the most amazing ranch, farm, and hotel in the middle of San Miguel. And it's called the, uh, the Farnest Lake Villas. And his name is Manuel. I'm going to give you the whole name. Manuel Camara. Oh, that's not the whole name. Give me the whole name. <laughs> Silveira Gago de Camara. That's much better. And not only is he the hotelier here with his wife, he raises cattle, he raises cows, he rides horses, and the cool thing is, and I actually went out there with him and did it, he's the beekeeper, and they make their own honey. And you've got the land to do it, of almost, uh, what, 200 acres? Yes, it's 137 hectares. Hector. Oh, so it's, even, so it's almost 300 acres. Almost, yes, yes. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and you can ride it, you can bike it, you can jeep it like we did. Yes. And we go up, what, 500 meters? And, Around that. And the we're at the, at the beehives. Yes, yes, yes. It's amazing. It, it, and it's so tranquil here. I mean, you're really, you know, you're, you're just away from it all. Yes, we are basically in the middle of the island, uh, very close to the lake. It's a big property. The other properties around are big as well. So we are pretty isolated here. Uh, but, but it's a splendid isolation. It is, it is. Now, you were born and raised here. When I first came here, we had a U.S. Air Force base mm -hmm. here. And right before I came here, I mean, this will give you an idea of how old I am. <laughs> most of the airplanes going to Europe stopped here for refueling because they didn't have the range. Exactly. I remember when I was very small, I remember to see them landing in a grass field <laughs> in the north side of the island. It was a plane, so the planes could land there. <laughs> Amazing. But you've also seen all the changes. Yes, yes. But remarkably, I think, as much as things have changed, they really haven't. I mean, it's still an island. It's still small. It's still a very small population. Uh, it's still relatively independent. Yes, uh, it's a small population, in fact. We are in the entire Azores, 250 or 240,000. That's over nine yeah, islands. Over nine islands. Here we have more than half of the entire population, so we are around 150, 160,000. And, um, and yes, it's, uh, everybody knows each other, which is good. And bad. Or not, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, very safe, very... It's fantastic to raise our children here. Not only the nature, but also the people. If you look at the history of the Azores, you guys were fishermen. You guys were whalers. You guys were, you were seafaring from day one. Yes, from the very beginning. And that was uh, the first migration towards the United States. It was to Hawaii because of the whaling industry. And then, of course, to the United States also, Rhode Island and all those... Uh, and Massachusetts. And Massachusetts, yes. I think that now, of course, we are talking about the fourth or the fifth generation of Azorians, but I think we are around one million uh, outside the Azores. That's right. And a lot of them in, in Massachusetts mm -hmm. and, a, and a lot of them still in Hawaii. Yeah. And I, mean, I heard stories well. about the Portuguese in Honolulu yeah. for the last 40 years. <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, so your, your legend precedes you. We are trustable persons, hardworking, and I think we perform well everywhere. <laughs> Now, for people who come to your hotel, mm -hmm. I mean, only what, 14 rooms? 14, yes, yes. And, and you get to hang, you get to go ride horses and, and yeah. go check out the, the you know, the, the thing I, I loved was the beekeeping. Yes, it's amazing. It's I mean, amazing. 
I mean, I know this is radio, but I'll try to paint the picture. I suit up in my beekeeping suit, right? Yeah, because the bees, you don't want them in. Definitely not. Then even, even your shoes are taped to your pants <laughs> so that there's no way for them to get in. No. And then you go up, to, you go up about 1,500 feet. Exactly. You got your smoker there to create the smoke. Mm -hmm. You light that up. Yes. And then you open up the hives. Yes. And the bees go a little crazy. <laughs> They did a little. But crazy. you smoked them, so they, I was I was smoking them. Yes, they remain inside. That, that was the one one thing I really wanted them to do. And then you extract the honeycomb. Exactly. And we just came back and cut it, and tasted it. It's phenomenal. And you, so and you sell it. Yeah, we we bottle here in the property, and we sell to our guests and to anybody who wants to pass by and have a the most organic honey you can get. As you could see. <laughs> now, traditionally, the, the, the visitors who came to the Azores were either the Brits or the Germans. Yes, 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 yes. In the past, definitely, they were the first markets, Brits and, and Germans. Right. And they used to come as like the British holiday makers and the buses, and <laughs> right? Exactly. But the American market's different. The American market is completely different. And we start now to know exactly what the American market uh, wishes and um, it's a very demanding market. But I would like you to tell me. I'm 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 confused about this. <laughs> okay. What well, does the American market wish? Yes, I, I can't tell you exactly what because our 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 hotel, if we can call it like that, is completely different from all the others in the island. So I believe that in other hotels, in other facilities, they might be different. But well, here, we're not talking about masterism here. You only yeah, have fourteen. Rooms. Yes, yes, yes. Here. They are looking for nature. They are looking for a quiet, a quiet place with some design, with uh, with a good restaurant, with uh, things to do around, like walking, biking, or uh, horse riding. If some some of them, they ride, so they they ask me to go with them. And everything you're doing here, you're trying to source it locally, so that your milk is coming from your cows, your beef yeah. is coming from your cattle, and we already know the honey is coming from your bees. <laughs> What's the one thing that you're worried about with the advent of more tourism here? Well, uh, my concern is to, sport, to uh, destroy a part, an important part of our nature. Uh, if you start to build big hotels, if you start to, to have wider and longer roads, if you start to have, instead of two or three cars passing, if you start to have 200 or 300 in our roads, it would be, of course, different. And uh, I think everybody is aware of that. Because what, what the tourists want is what we have now. I believe that if we start to have hotels everywhere, I think they will look for another, another place. So it's one thing to have increased airlift, but at the same time you have to manage the growth. Of course, of course. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest knows a little bit about the island. He's an amazing historian. And we always want to figure out how we put things in perspective and in context. And he's here to help. Francisco Maduro Diaz, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, I, I started out the show with an admission that most of my fellow Americans are geographically ignorant, 
Most of my fellow Americans don't know where the Azores are, let alone they've never heard of them. And if they have heard of them, they may not even know where they're located. Um, and yet, here we are in one of nine of the most western islands in Europe, um, and an amazing place with such great history, and that's why you're here. <laughs> I suppose I can be of some help if you'll find so. The Azores are in the middle of the North Atlantic, just half of the way. Uh, I, I, when people say, like you said, that we are away from Europe, also we are away from the United States and from North America. If you consider the Gulf Stream, the Gulf Stream starts in the Gulf of Mexico, crosses the sea near Florida and goes to the center of the Atlantic and after comes up, up to Norway. And uh, we are there when Gulf Stream starts going up. And that's because of that we have some strange temperatures. Sometimes we have four seasons on the same day. We have. Uh, I've seen the T-shirts for all four seasons in the yeah, same day. Yeah, but, but that's a fact. So uh, I have a particular a joke of mine when people start their, appears to me with a list uh, with um, a schedule. In morning, see the mountain. In the afternoon, go to swim. And I say, no, just cut it out. <laughs> Try to have a wish list, a paper with something you would like. And if the mountain is clear, go there, because in half an hour it can be cloudy. If the water is okay, just swim, because in the afternoon you can have a small storm. And sometimes we have tropical storms, not that big, but we have some tropical storms. Yeah, so, it, and it, sometimes yeah. it's cold coming from Iceland. So uh, we are in the middle of the ocean, really in the middle. And where we are right now in Tercera, in yes. terms of history, I first came here, I should tell you, in 1973, I landed at the Air Force Base. Ah, so you know about the Air Force Base. I know. It's the oldest U.S. military presence outside the United States. Yes. I prepared a report about historic buildings in the U.S. base. Uh, actually, it is a Portuguese Air Force Base with a U.S. military presence. Uh, okay, friends living in the same place. And uh, when uh, U.S. Air Force asked me to prepare a report about uh, historic buildings that should be protected because they wanted to destroy, to make disappear some others, I was surprised. The first U.S. base out the United States during Second World War, it was in Iceland, but it is closed now. Yes. So if you forget about it, the U.S. presence here on the Azores on Tercet Island started in... On Tercera in 47, in Santa Maria in 45, 46. But since then, thousands and thousands of people came here. And to put things in geographical perspective, yeah. my mother used to tell me stories about flying to Europe in the 30s and the 40s, and even in the 50s before the jet age. Just about every plane going to Europe stopped here because yeah. they didn't have the range. They needed refueling. Yes, they needed. Perhaps you don't know that something you should... <laughs> also, and your listeners, is that this is the outside of U.S. again, is the biggest uh, refueling station in the world for the moment, at least according to my knowledge. Still? Still. It's a big area for refueling. It's like the highway. When you cross the Atlantic, when you cross, when you drive all along a highway, sometimes from pla from time to time you need a place to have a to have a coffee, to rest for a while, to refuel. 
And to put things in even more context, when you think of the history of the islands and how the U.S. even came to be here, uh, it goes back to, to Roosevelt, doesn't it? Yeah, you, 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 you did your homework. <laughs> yes, Roosevelt was here in the San Miguel in, 1980, in 1918, 1919. That's when he was, what, Secretary of the Navy? Yes, and then he saw, and he sent letters back uh, to family saying this is a place that is, it will be very important for the U.S., uh, not not in the empire, not controlling, but just uh, a little bit. Well, Con of course, from a strategic perspective. Yes, strategic perspective. Perhaps you know, you can imagine better this way. You know about Hawaii uh, between U.S. and Japan. Right. Uh, Pearl, Pearl we Harbor. are the Hawaii of the East. You're the Pearl Harbor of the East in that regard. Uh, we wouldn't like to be, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't. Roosevelt wasn't wrong during World War II. The, no, 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 the Nazi were. submarines are all over this place. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, if I can make a joke, uh, I'm trying to to say this in English because usually I do it in Portuguese. <laughs> that the um, the Germans were preparing to came to the Azores because they wanted to affect the U.S. And uh, the Americans asked Brazilians, because they speak Portuguese, uh, if they would accept to come here with a military force. Portugal didn't want Brazilians and didn't want also the Americans. So Portugal and didn't want also the Germans, so uh, the Nazis. So he said, perhaps the British would come. So uh, Portugal accepted British because they didn't want Brazilians that had been invited by the Americans because they didn't <laughs> want the, the Nazis. <laughs> It's like a kid's play. Everyone wanted to put the, the, the feet on. So the British first came? The British first came after the British the Americans. It was quite interesting because at the beginning, Portuguese government didn't want the, the Americans to be here. Little afraid about the Nazis. So the Americans here had to use uh, British uniforms or to be considered as uh, British uh, helpers. And when you think about it, I mean, this is the one that surprised me in my research. Let's go back to the U.S. Civil War. There were ships here then. Yeah, it was again the same. British Civil War. Um, no, the U.S. Uh, the US, Civil, US War. Civil War, yeah. yes. Yeah, the, 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 cotton, the cotton man on the south uh, had money on the, the United Kingdom in England. And they couldn't have money back, but they needed ships so they ordered ships that were built technically very, very up-to-date at the time. This was the Confederates. Yes. The, yeah. Confed the Confederates asked, asked, the, in, asked the, some British shipyards to build modern ships at the time to the b famous blockade runners. Right. And uh, the blockade runners came to the, from England to the Azores as civilian ships. And just using one of our... We have many uh, places uh, in the ocean, near the ocean, uh, small bays, small uh, areas. They changed from civilian to military. Military, military yes, with cannons. With a, and from here, they sailed to the south of the U.S. Wow. So even the Azores played a role in the, in the U.S. Here Civil War. we have the remains of a runner. It is called runner. A blockade runner. A blockade runner here. But the, the name, we call it, is runner. Right. Uh, uh, but it was a blockade runner here on, the, on Angra Bay, uh, just near the place where you can swim now. Before we get into 
more and more history. I want to talk about my experience yesterday diving here mm-hmm. on the island. We were right in the harbor, and we dove down to see one of the wrecks right on the coast. I mean, literally at the shore, um, going back to 1878, I believe. And the story that I was told, and this goes back to what you and I were just talking about, about the four seasons in one day, yeah. is that if the wind ever switched around, the ships weren't protected. And, and they, that's why they used to, we're talking about the wooden ships especially. Yeah. And that's why they called it the carpenter's wind because yes. when the wind came in and the ship sank, that's the, that's the wood they used to build so many of the houses. <laughs> yeah. My house, I have two or three beams exactly from a ship. Wow, uh, and you can recognize the the the, the spots for the the the, the wood that were were used to put all the pieces all together. Sure. Now the ship that we dove on was literally a, a metal ship. It was an yeah. iron ship, so that's why it's able to survive. It just didn't disintegrate in the water. Even iron ships. I remember in nineteen ninety eight. So twenty one years ago. Yeah, we had a big storm, and there was a. A ship that uh, usually was used to trade between the islands, and there was uh, big waves, and it was driven to the rocks. So, the carpenter's wind is not anymore carpenter's wind because the, the ships are not in wood, <laughs> but uh, uh, still exists. Is the south the ship is, breakers wind? Is yeah. southeast uh, wind. And uh, okay, our harbors are harbors in ocean. You, when you are on an island. Uh, you don't have waves coming from a direction, and you cannot run away to the other direction. Y- when you run, you have constantly winds and waves. Right. So uh, you have to, to know where to build your houses, where to build your fortresses. I remember I was sorry for coming back to history, but uh, uh, when I was studying the uh, history of Portugal in my universitarian course, I remember a teacher told me, a professor told me something, you came from the Azores, boy. Okay, just study the ocean, winds, waves, storms. And with that, you will understand all the history of Europe of five centuries. Because we are in the middle, and to come back to Europe, even in those times, you should turn around and pass the Azores, even with ships from Central America, the longest route was something coming from Philippines to Mexico, uh, on board again in um, Porto Velo or other places in Central America, and from Central America to the Azores, from the Azores to Portugal, from, the, from Portugal to Sevilla. So it was really a ride. That's for the Spanish. That was yes, all for the Spanish. Spanish. For the Portuguese was Malacca, Nagasaki, Goa, Mozambique, Angola. And back to Portugal. Back in the Use days it. when Portugal had an armada. Yeah, now we have small, small, <laughs> small thing. Yes, it's exactly. a fact. It's a fact. Well, you studied all that. Now you have museums yeah. throughout the islands. Yes. Right. What's the most spectacular museum for you in terms of people? If they're going to come here for the first time, they must stop there. Actually, that is sorry for saying this. It actually is exactly the question we are trying not to answer. <laughs> we know story we, of my life no 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 it's, we are trying we are trying to create a different way of looking at uh, every island has a different history every island every different story, uh, group of stories so the, our way now is trying to uh, introduce a different concept you visit 
on every island, you can visit one, two, three different museums. That museum must be capable of showing you something about all the Azores and the geographic and historic perspective of that island, but not trying to shrink the horizon. Just you, 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 you visit a museum in Santa Maria, you'll visit, you'll be visiting some interesting items, but the museum in Santa Maria will lead you. Please, when you when you fly to another island, just visit museum there, because that will be another perspective. But okay, we have two, three, five interesting museums. Angra Museum is spectacular for military things. San Miguel is interesting f for natural nature. Orta is uh, trying to increase uh, the communications and so. But every museum try to have two sides: one side looking at the island, another side looking at the world from the perspective of that island. Then I'll ask a question a different way. What's the one lesson that I can learn about history from visiting the Azores? It's my favorite question. Thank you. I think that in the 21st century, people tend to separate nature from culture. We need to protect nature and the cultural fighters, I would, could say this way, fight for culture and identity. I think that the Azores are one of the best places all over the Azores, all over the world, to visit how a people with a culture, European, Southern Mediterranean culture, can come to a place where no humans lived previously, and they adapted all the visions. When we were talking about the one lesson yeah. that people need to take from this. And uh, I, I was saying that for someone from 21st century you we tend to separate nature from culture. And this is the place where you can see how humans with culture can affect nature, but not exactly spoiling or destroying it, just adapting. Right. They couldn't control it, they had to adapt. They could control, they could adapt... But never forgetting that if you make the soil disappear, you'll have no natural grass, but also no grass for your cows, so you'll die. And that is important, is how humans can stay on this world, uh, just changing this, modifying that, adapting that, and living with. That is our lesson, I think. And if it's the lesson, I'm assuming it hasn't changed. If it changes, it makes you very, very dependent of outside things. And we don't like it. We like to... We, it's not liking. If you have a big storm, if you have a big problem, you have to rely just on you. You cannot wait for um, airplanes coming or so. We had a disaster uh, a few decades ago in 1980, a big earthquake. The first four hours, we were on our own. No one could come immediately. So we had to solve our own problems with our own strength, with our own forces, and with our own knowledge. You are essentially a part of Portugal, but fiercely independent. Mm, we, we have autonomy. Yeah. Uh, even the United States today, sorry for saying this, are not independent. Uh, in this world, you cannot be independent. You, are, uh, you have autonomy. You can decide this and that, but you always need to know where the others are going, at what, what they are doing. So I prefer to be considered as a Portuguese of the Atlantic. And what's interesting to me is how many Azorians mm. are now in America. You have a huge population in Massachusetts, up in, up in Northern California and Oakland, California. Yeah. How'd that happen? Fishing? Mm, just going west. 
uh, anthropologists say that people tend to go with the sun. Uh, I don't know if it is true. At least for us, going west is okay. We we had uh, we have Azorian stories, uh, the story uh, stories of Azorians that uh, were in the U.S. even before U.S. existed as an independent country, uh, in the, some uh, west coast uh, states. Uh, you you. Uh, I remember there there is a story Pedro Francisco I don't know if you heard about Tell it. Me. <laughs> Pedro Francisco was in the army of, of George Washington and apparently was born here on this island. So when George Washington was fighting for the independence of US Azorians were there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're everywhere. I yes, I, I was sure. I, yesterday I was I was at a festival in, in the village of San Matus. Uh-huh, yeah. And bumped into someone who's going to be on the show. I mean, who, first of all, was from the island of Tercera. His now wife was from the island of San Miguel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they met in Canada. Yeah, it's possible. Very well, possible. No, it, it, it happened. And now they're back here. Uh, uh, w- uh, once I was in a U.S. military force base in the center of the United States, and there was a uh, lunch, and... Uh, uh, the commander has organized the, the round tables, uh, trying to put some people from the local community and some of the visitors. We were 40 visitors and locals. And suddenly, a woman on my round table, it was just in the center of the U.S., Oklahoma, something like. And uh, suddenly, the woman, speaking perfect Portuguese, asked me, where are you from? And I said, from Azores, Terceira, Angra do Heroismo. Oh, I am from there also. <laughs> she had been born <laughs> two streets aside from the place I was born also. So I found a, a, a woman from Terceira just in the middle of the United States, in the middle of nowhere, I would say. Uh, so I agree with you. Azorians are uh, Portuguese and Azorians are everywhere. So if you want to find an Azorian from the middle of nowhere, you must first realize that the Azores could be considered in the middle of nowhere and you're together. Yes. I love how that works out. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. If you've been listening already, you know this particular island, well, actually all the islands of the Azores are known for their festivals. They're known for each community, each village, each township having one. In particular, there's one that happens every year. It's the Azores Festival, the Folk Azores Festival. And joining me now, the president of it, Cesario Pereira. How are you? Hi, Peter. Thank you for coming. Everywhere I look. I don't know if anybody actually has a full-time job here because you're always having a festival. Yeah. Am I right? Everyone works for the festival, and <laughs> people say normally that the islands, the nine islands of the resorts, the reality is not nine islands, it's eight, and amusement park. We are the amusement park. In we Tercera. work for, yeah. We, we love party. That's the difference from Tercera people from the other areas of the Azores. And this particular festival, I mean, it's one of the biggest in Europe. Yeah, one of the biggest in Europe, a reference in the world. Thank God we work for that, uh, this folk festival. That and it's we, coming up. Yeah, next August, uh, the second week of August, we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, doing the festival. This one, this year, was going to be the biggest one of, of all time. So we're going to have to 16 groups from 14 countries. It's a big festival. Everybody shows up. Everybody. We're going to have a group from Argentina, Bulgaria, Chile, Croatia, Finland, Latvia, Mexico, Poland, 
Slovakia, Taiwan, Thailand, United States from Nash, uh, Na North Carolina, uh, Colorado, Carolina, sorry. North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And three groups from, two from mainland Portugal and one from the Azores that's going to be from the uh, Fayal Islands. Now you organize this, so you choose the groups. Yeah, I choose. The, I'm the the responsible for choosing the groups. Uh, every year, they apply for the, to come to here to the festival. But every year you have like 350 groups yeah, applying, and you applying. only pick what 14? Yeah, 14 at least. Wow, uh, tough to get and in. And we don't invite we don't invite them. They pay to come here. For that, we have to have a good organization to have a good return from the groups. So they have to like it. And to, when they go back, they have to talk to about about us that's the, our uh, main uh, objective you, know, you you want people to know that this is where they were yeah you've been doing this for 35 years yeah i i work with the, the organization for 35 years i start a little when you bit. were two years yeah. old i understand no yeah. i was born when you arrived here in uh, 1973 so <laughs> it's not so long <laughs> I, I am a fan of the festival for a long, long time, and the last 14 years I'm the president of the organization. And when I get there, uh, the festival is not so good, unfortunately. And I get together a, a good team, and we work to put the festival as a mark as it is now. Very important mark. The, our objective is to people to, when came here, get together to a festival. But we have a, um, a phrase that we say that Focusor is not Focusor, it's more than folk. So we. People just don't come to dance and to play music. They come to know the island. That's what you want. And of course, most of these groups that come have never been here before. Never, never. Some of them never saw the sea. I remember, for example, a group from Poland, for example, it's some people there is the first time they touch the sea. Imagine for a, we live on a, a surrounded by sea. I cannot imagine from be from the from the uh, out of the sea. So. I'm a sea people, sea people, but exactly. uh, in uh, in the middle of the continent, some groups don't know what's the the, the sour, uh, what's the salt of the the water, and uh, they like to to do it. What's the biggest surprise for people about the Azores when they come here? They love so much they apply again to come here. It's interesting because we have a rule that we don't repeat the groups. Uh, some festivals of, of this kind they repeat it. If they are good, they come. I don't want to repeat. And the and why? I want more people to see it. Not only in my island, but the festival too, of course. But I don't want to repeat the group. And sometimes it happens once. A group from from um, Serbia, the wife of uh, a, a wife of a director, get together in another group to come here again because she loves so they much. They just wanted to sneak back in. <laughs> yeah, she came again. And when I get to the airport to pick the group, and I said, I know you. I know you from somewhere. And she told me, Yeah, I came inside this group because I love so much. I want to come again. The biggest problem that I have, even with my own team here, I've been coming what since '73. Yeah. It's their first you're time al here. You're almost as Orient people too. <laughs> no, but, but for my team, they all want to move here now. Oh, that's good. I know. They were, I they all welcome here. So I, but do I have to come back as a, as a folk group? No, <laughs> for my festival, probably not. You can come and make a show there. I I invite you to do it. I guarantee, if I make a show there, I would not be invited back. Who <laughs> <laughs> will come? And when friends come to see you for the first time, where mm. do you take them? I think I take not only for to to say I like my my colleagues that were here. I want to show in everything. I want to to see the cave. I want to they they have to taste the the, the cheese. They have to eat the butter, the milk. The meat is beautiful. The meat and of course the fish. So we try to 
take them everywhere. And the, the one thing of the Folkzores is not made. I, for example, I have been in Drummondville in Canada and they make a, a festival there in, in, in Quebec. And it's a, like a park or even another festival in the United States that's Falk Moth. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Such great history here, such great culture. I've been coming since 1973, believe it or not. And I came, as so many people have come, by accident, not by design. I landed here for refueling at a U.S. Air Force base back in 1973. That base, by the way, still here today. But more on that a little bit later. One of the other things that's fascinating about this island and about these islands is the culture and how much of it hasn't changed and how much of it should never change. And one of the things that I find most remarkable about the activities here are the bullfights. You know, if you take a look at the traditional model of the bullfight, it's in a ring, and the bull is and the bull is killed. This is the one culture where bullfights are held where the bull is not killed in the ring, and that's been going on for centuries. And joining me now, someone who knows a little bit about that, uh, Pedro Correa, who, whose, whose specialty is, is animal science, but also an expert in the history of bullfighting here on the island. How are you, Pedro? I'm fine, thank you. I mean, I got a chance to watch not a bullfight with you, but something else. Between the, between the months of May and October, they have something else in addition to the bullfighting. They don't have it in the ring. They have it in different, different villages and different uh, municipalities all around the islands where they run the bulls. Nothing like Pamplona. You're not seeing hundreds of bulls running at the same time. You're seeing one bull running throughout the city. I wouldn't even see the city throughout the village. Yeah, and every it's it's a great social event. Everybody comes out for it. We were there. It's quite fascinating. And once again, the bull is not is not killed. Now, I was watching it. I must say, from behind a barricade, uh, <laughs> because I'm not stupid. Uh, I mean, there are people out there in the street who are stupid, uh, but that's part of the, that's part of the entertainment of it all to yeah, watch yeah. them basically tease the bull and play with the bull. For me, my, my common sense took the better of me, and I stayed behind the, 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 the barricades, which are, by the way, every doorway of San Mateus, which is where the bull was running, or I should say four bulls at one at a time, every doorway has its own homemade barricade that they build just for this, because they know uh, you better be inside the barricade. Those are, those are big bulls yesterday. Yeah, normal ones, uh, but... Uh, yeah. Normal, big for me. Yeah, for for the people who who don't know, yeah, they are they are big. For sure. Let's talk about the history of of, of the bulls here in the Azores, mm -hmm. because what we saw yesterday goes back centuries. Yeah, the history of the bulls here starts when the arrived the first people, the first Portuguese to this island, when they put some animals on the island to see if the island is good to to live to 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 come here or no so they put animals including bulls and cows pigs and they came years later to see if they are alive so they they saw it they are alive and okay we came we can came here to to live too um so, so if it's okay for the bulls uh, it's good enough it's for us good for us and um after this 
so it was very common catch bulls and uh, to to kill to to eat the meat so in this in this game to catch the bulls with the rope or this stuff the bulls at that point were wild yeah yeah sure and to 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 do this they need to catch them with the rope and slaughter them to to kill the meat in to making these things was like a, a like a dance like a bullfight <laughs> and uh well the this kind of uh, event was uh developing until to arrive to the this kind of bullfight but it's not really a fight it's a it's a yeah play. yeah yeah the i i don't like the the term of bullfight but is the the translation of uh, the bullfight right <laughs> to the english but uh, it's like a dance yeah it's like a dance and so what i witnessed in the in in Samatis was four big bull boxes come in the big metal yeah. boxes with the bulls inside right mm-hmm. um and it's sort of like watching a rodeo being prepared mm-hmm. in the united states they have to get the rope around it they have to put something on the horns like yeah. they, right and then the gate opens and out comes the bull. Now the bull is attached to a rope, yeah. but the bull is essentially running as freely as the bull can run. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to be standing in the street when the bull comes out, you better run. Yes, for sure, for sure. And I, I think the people here, because it's cultural, the people are conscient what is the bull, and including the people who are in the the roads, have the careful to uh to don't have problems but is a risk ever of course so now do you ever stand out there and play with the bull uh no the, tr- the truth never 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 with the uh, little cows or something yes but uh with the bull no i i'm very conscient yeah do people get hurt uh sometimes they do i saw one yesterday that came pretty close yeah, it came pretty close, right? Yeah, he was, it's, it's normal. And sometimes we can see uh, movies uh, on the show on the TV here uh, about some people that's hurt with with the bull. Now, of course, from an American perspective, we go back to the romanticism of the Ernest Hemingway writing yeah. about the bullfight in Spain, the fiesta. Yeah, I mean, that draws a lot of people even today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we, you you told about Pamplona. You, you the running with the bulls, yes. The the so many people are there, and uh, or other other cities in Spain like Madrid or or, or Sevilla, etc. So it still sure. goes on, sure. Yeah, I think yeah. But from from a travel and tourism perspective, most Americans coming would not have known about San Miguel yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because it's not really in the brochure, it's not really in the guidebook, because the, you move it from from location to location, mm-hmm. just about every day. Yeah. So, my suggestion for people listening to the show, if you're coming to the Azores, is find someone like Pedro, find somebody who's local, because there's a grapevine of information here, sort of an underground telegraph mm-hmm. that tells you it's going to be tomorrow, it's going to be the next day. Yeah. It, it's not really published in the papers. Yeah, uh, is a uh, is um, it's too local. But that, uh, that's what makes it great. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. 
And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. We talked about the history of this island. We talked about the culture on this island to a certain extent. We talked about my experiences on this island, but now we're going to talk about the music. And joining me now, classical guitarist Ruben Bettencourt, who actually lives here in Tercera. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> a pleasure. Yeah. This is the place you call home. Yes. I uh, have been born and raised here, have been traveling around the world uh, for major countries to perform. But you learned your music here. Yes. I started here, and then I went to mainland uh, to perform. and uh, to Mainland meaning Portugal. Portugal, mainland. <laughs> And then afterwards, I have been in uh, Netherlands uh, to, to do my master's degree with one of the major guitarists in the world, Carlo Marchioni, and then uh, Canada. And then I'm back here in Azores because I really feel that that's the place I should be. Tell me about the music in the Azores specifically. Well, we start with the folk music, right? So that's where I have uh, been raised, have been learning my, my initial guitar uh, performing in my my experience in here. Afterwards, I learned uh, with Vitor Kars, one of the major guitarists here, uh, which I have been uh, in a relationship with him very, very quite uh, often. And then, of course, I have to move on and uh, go major places to the major halls. Of course. That, that's part of the, the journey, I guess, uh, to learn. But you that, started right? at what age here? I started with six years old, so wow. I was really young. and uh, With a very small guitar. And very small, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, we have this tradition, Carnival, which is uh, very major here. So I've uh, been, been a part of a journey, I guess, uh, different than all, not only guitar, but the other courses and different instruments, I guess, uh, for that major. Is there an effective description of Azorian music? Yes, we have this folk, folk music, which is uh, very uh, traditional, very uh, part of the Azores. And, uh, of course, it just uh, starts to, to, with Internet, is something that we start getting more uh, popular music from different countries, and then we have this mix, uh, I guess, is uh, very important for as well, right? Who were your models when you were, when you were studying? Who did you follow? Well, in classical guitar, we have to follow uh, worldwide musicians, right? So I mean, I go back to the days of Andre Segovia. Yes, Andre Segovia, David Russell, uh, and then, of course, with the, gener the generations start to raise, and, and we have to follow as well as uh, Robert Ocell and many others, right? And how important is the music here? For me, it's kind of a mix, right? Uh, I cannot explain much about the folk music because it's not my field, but uh, classical guitar has been uh, something that uh, people have been followed for the past years. I have been very fortunate to travel around the world and to, to bring back these this experiences, which uh, for me is a very pleasurable uh, moment, right? You know, when you go to Lisbon and you get a chance, you go to see the Fado. Yes. Right? Which is so distinctive to Portugal. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And, and you have to go with the right person at the right time of the day, or I should say the evening. Or even at night. <laughs> well, I'm saying at night, absolutely at night. Is, do you feel the same way about Portuguese classical guitar? Well, we don't have much Portuguese. We, we are starting now to, to, be sh to people see it, right? So we go around the world. That's what, what we do. Um, we have three or four people that are major performers, uh, Pedro Rodrigues, uh, Francisco Frank, and many others. That which uh, have been uh, winning prizes around the world. Uh, I have been fortunate to do, to do that as well, with 24 prizes already in, in the career, which is uh, remarkable for the, the past year, 10 years in 30 competitions. 24, I think, is a very and good And by number. the way, even though this is radio, you look very young. How old are you? I'm 30 right now. You I'm look 30. about 24. So Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> but before we get to your music, and we're going to get a chance to listen, what is it about Tercera 
that keeps you. That's the best island in the Azores, I must say, right? <laughs> I'm very, very proud to be Azorian and to especially uh, to be Tercera uh, uh, people, right? And um, But being, for someone listening to the show who's never been here, why should they come? Because this is paradise in the middle of the Atlantic, and it's very f- easy to get here from America. We have direct flights, so I think it's a great opportunity to see a pearl in the in the in the in the in the, in the world, right? Right. But what makes it the pearl? For me, it's uh, the this volcanic, this uh, views. We don't see much uh, uh, different places like this. We can go for many islands, and this is still the one of the best places we can live. That's the reason I have been traveling around the world and come back to the same place all all the time to rest and to have peace and to be calm. Right. So we can go around the world uh, many places, and this is still my my place. People always ask me, you know, where my favorite places are because I travel so many places, and my metric is where I sleep the best, mm-hmm. right? Where I sleep the best is where I think the best. Where I think the best is where I create the best. Where mm-hmm. I create the best is maybe where I love the best. All those things going back to where I sleep the best. And how do you sleep the best? It's often the air that you breathe. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at the, the wind that comes into this island and the air, it's sort of intoxicating because you want to sleep. I see, <laughs> I see. For me, it's just a more, more a creative place. I, I really practice a lot here. I uh, have to get my uh, my career going, so that's that's where I feel very fortunate to be born and raised because uh, I never seen a place like this that you can go around walking, you can go around with people. People are always happy. This is the island of party and uh, still <laughs> one of the best ways to have a little bit of everything. We start uh, the bullfights on the 1st of May and then we finish at the 5th of November and then we have Christmas, then we have Carnival and then we go have Easter and then we start again. <laughs> that's that's the way it is. Ruben, what are you going to play for us? I'll play a, co- a piece called Snowdrop by uh, Konstantin Vasiliev. It's one of the things I really like to play. It's very, very and nice. And tell me about Constantine. Sorry? Tell me about the about the composer. The composer itself is just a Russian composer, uh, which has his, uh, this piece is part of the three first paintings uh, by Constantine Vasiliev. It's just a piece, uh, one of the pieces, the second movement of the suite, which is uh, very nice, and I hope you enjoy it. Go for it. Uh-huh.
Unbelievable. That's yeah. great. Now, you, like, he's, a, he's a Russian composer. Yes. What about an Azorian composer? Not for now. <laughs> You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover inside the house there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.